0: Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead.
1: Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike, and now for my personal disclaimer. Although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get to Vet podcast, are based on my personal experience thanks for listening
0: hey there get to vet this is trevor maxwell got my name right again Woo! and with me as always is my man
1: and this is mike riggs and uh, trevor's on a streak unlike the one last seen by will ferrell in old school so yes let's keep this rolling <laughs> Hey,
0: and uh, today's, uh, I'm excited to do this episode. This is, we're going to talk about an organization that uh, I'm very fond of and try to participate in some of the stuff whenever they can, Um, the Navy Special Operations Foundation. And you can see me and Mike, we have our shirts on. And uh, our guest today uh, is the Executive Director of NSOF, as we like to call it, Susanna Fisher, and she's got her shirt on, but we can't, she doesn't have the video on. So we'll go ahead and let her introduce herself. Say hi to everybody, Susie.
2: Hey, everyone. Thank you guys so much for having me. My name is Susanna Fisher. I'm the executive director of NSOF or Navy Special Operations Foundation.
0: Yeah. And uh, well, tell us a little bit about your relation to the Navy Special Operations community.
2: Sure. Absolutely. Might be a little longer of a story, but um ultimately I uh, I met my husband when I was in the army at Dli um, and from there we got married came out to uh, to Virginia Beach that's where it really all started about just over 13 years ago so I've been around the community for quite some time now um, you know throughout that you get to know a lot of a lot of people a lot of guys within the community spouses and and a lot of them they really become family to you so uh you know the ups and downs um all that we have two kids so so we've personally experienced quite a quite a bit of this very uh enough to say that it is quite a unique and um pretty remarkable tight-knit community
0: yeah and i know mike's well mike's getting ready to punch out i did a couple years ago but uh we still look forward i always love when you guys have events um You know, we had one a few weeks ago. It was kind of sad. Uh, But at the same time, you know, I was really glad that we got to go out and see everybody face to face.
2: Yes, no. And that's one of the more that's one of the more important parts. And I think it's something that we didn't necessarily realize until um, until our very first gala, actually, back in uh, 2018, Um, you know these gatherings, they are quite significant. Uh, unfortunately, the NSO community, they have a really high op tempo and um, they never really have the time to get together. So, you know, there, there came a point of realization and I can't tell you how many times my husband Harvey tells me like, oh, you remember him from so-and-so's funeral, um, which is, it's pretty sad when you, when you think about it. So, um, you know, we realized everyone was only ever getting together for tragic events. And while, I mean, those are very important and just like the um, the little memorial event that we had the other weekend, uh, our, our gala, it somehow morphed from this major fundraiser into a very positive and celebratory occasion. And it was, I think it was a bit unfamiliar to everyone. Um, all you kept hearing throughout the night, right, was oh, it's so great together or so great to get together for something, something like this, something that isn't a horrible occasion. And I mean, ultimately, you know, it it really clicked where it's like the only time everyone gets together, it was for a funeral or memorial. And that's not really a time for people to come together and heal. That's time to grieve. So, um, you know, from there, we've really, really picked up on a lot of these gatherings and I think it's probably one of the more impactful and uh, important programs that we do have.
1: Yeah, I really want to echo what you what you're saying because I went to the last one we had at uh, in in the Hampton Roads area, and I remember it just the way you were saying it was. And when I reflect back, I got to a point where I just wanted to wear my my dress blues for something other. Than a memorial or a funeral. And I was a CMC of EOD school and the Memorial weekend is such a logistics, uh, you know, it's a big logistics thing to deal with. And then you finally get to the Memorial day and you have the Memorial in the morning and that whole day is, and then you have the ball that evening and it's still a summer, to me it is anyway, a summer event. And then, you know, f- for a lot of us, if you're deployed, you miss that year, that, that's, that year is gone. You know, you don't get to see anybody. So I think it's great that we have this opportunity to have the galas and to actually get to see folks in a positive light. And, you know, like you're saying, a, in a celebratory environment, because it, it got to a point there for a while at the memorials where I just wouldn't go to the ball because you know, I'm just spent You know, I'm just done for that day because I'm just, I've had enough. And even, I think there was even days where I gave my tickets away. I was like, yep, here you go. You guys need a ticket? Here's, take mine. It's free. I'm good. Um, Because there's just, there's only just so much. And, and then to have something, you know, in a positive light now to go and just see folks you haven't seen for a while, be it deployment cycles, be it the fact that we're retired or retiring uh, and we can come back to the area and, and contribute and, and be a part of that close knit uh, community, like we're used to. I think that's not only, man, that's that's such a step in the right direction for mental health for everyone. I think concerned.
2: Absolutely, no, thank you. I mean, it's um, it is. it's something that I'm I'm really glad that we that we were able to identify and and hopefully we can. Uh, you know, now with with COVID we're kind of getting back to our old normal or I'm not sure what term we're using now, but um, you know, hopefully we can do a lot more of these uh, of these events. And that's, that's really actually how it all came to uh, uh, for us to create the, what turned into the no gala gala, um, you know, cause this would have been the second year in a row that we had canceled um, our traditional gala in Virginia beach. So with that, you know, and, and knowing the significance of these gatherings, um, we, uh, we really wanted to make sure that we didn't have this huge impact that we're able to make strip, stripped away. So, you know, we kind of put together an alternative platform this way, everyone can still come together, heal, share stories, not sad memories. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we're having that at the, at the shack actually this Saturday. So, We'll have this entire area. It's reserved for any current foreign or former NSO service members, families come out, free food, free drinks. We've morphed it from a fundraiser into more of a, a program to where we're uh, we're providing all this just for people to get together um, and enjoy themselves. So we're really looking forward to it. And we are going to have Little Top there himself. So that's going to be a pretty, pretty awesome. I, I'm really looking forward to it
0: you'll probably have the founders of the get to vet podcast there too. So.
2: Yes. I hope
1: so. <laughs> I,
0: I, you know, I'm excited for that. Um, you know, like Mike said, he, he didn't go to the ball cause it was, you know, it's draining. Um, I didn't go to the ball cause I don't like getting dressed up. So <laughs> <laughs> I would rather just donate. Like we went to the gala and I remember uh, getting in the tuxedo that I rented that didn't fit very well. I was kind of mad about that. And then I was, I was like, oh, I'm going to buy a bow tie and tie it myself. Uh, that made me super mad trying to do that. <laughs> I was like, you know what, tuxedos are stupid. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm excited for this one, uh, the, the, the last formal, because it's just, it suits my personality. Um, but I'm excited to do that. Like, yeah, I, you know, for people who aren't familiar, uh, the first weekend of May, um, which is usually you know, coincides with mine and Mike's birthday. Um, you know, they have the EOD memorial, and that's for all four branches. They have it at the schoolhouse. There's an EOD memorial across, you know the the street from from where the schoolhouse is, and that's a big event. Usually thousands of people are there, all four branches coming together. There's like a whole week of activities. Um, they do cookouts, they do, I think they do like poker games and golf tournaments and and then they have the ball and then you know the uh i guess what would be the 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 grand ending of the the weekend for me is normally you know going out to aj's and destin after <laughs> and beat everybody who went to the ball they come in in their dress whites and stuff and i'm there in my t-shirt shorts and crocs ready to <laughs> drink them under the table but um yeah so i'm I'm excited for the no gala gala i probably won't get you know drink people under the table but um One of the things I I wanted to talk about, too, because, you know, get to vet actually has sort of a a similar origin story to NSOF. And so I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about, um, you know, about what led to the creation of NSOF. Because really, I I think it all came down to, you know, the same thing, which was, you know, the um, uh, Scotty Dayton uh, getting killed in action.
2: No, it it absolutely... It, it absolutely did. And, um, you know, as far as uh, NSOF's origin, so as I said before, we were established in, um, in 2018. So, uh, and it was shortly after uh, Scotty was killed um, when Harvey introduced me to Joe Cockrell, and he was considering starting up a, uh, a nonprofit that was dedicated to, to filling the gaps within the NSO community. And, you know, after after speaking with him for quite some time about his vision for the organization, uh, realizing the amount of impact it could potentially have on the community itself, um, I mean, I was very quick to, to jump on board. Um, and that went from the general concept of the individual pillars. So, you know, youth and family, warrior care, community presence, transition. I mean, all very much needed in this community. Um, and, even down to the, to the name of it in itself. I I knew that it was going to work. I knew that it was needed and, um, you know, and that there would be a ton of support behind it. So, um, you know, with, with all of that, we, um, I mean, just going, going back to it from on, on my end, right. So my husband, Harvey, he's been on four combat deployments blown up more times than I know, or that he tells me. Uh, you know, my kids, they miss so many memories with their dad. So experiencing all those ups and downs, but also seeing so many of these guys just in like the last 13 years and their family's struggle and having no one to turn to, um, or, you know, at least no one they felt comfortable turning to, which I'm sure that could be a podcast in itself, which is the, you know, it's okay to ask for help. Um, but, uh, you know, just to, to be able to play a small role in changing that around, it, it has been absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I can't even begin to say the the impact that I've seen personally, um, just from from my perspective. You know, so far we've uh, we've done about over five hundred thousand dollars in um, in support. I mean, directly to our programs, uh, we've directly impacted over thirty eight hundred NSO service members and their families, and. Um, I, that's if you look at it that's 96 percent so 96 percent of um, of our funding goes directly to to these programs so 96 cents of every dollar and and that's that's a metric that's really difficult and and virtually unseen in any other um, nonprofit organization so the fact that we're able to do that and so quickly and help so many people in just sh- such a short amount of time has been um I mean it's very it's very rewarding and it is, uh, it's just an amazing honor.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's one of the important things, in my opinion, that I think you guys are also doing, you know, in addition to all those other programs is you're kind of providing that, that, that center of influence to, you know, promote one of the big things that I know guys like, me and Mike and and a lot of other guys from our generation felt is, you know, we we kind of feel like there's that depleted sense of brotherhood there in the community, mm-hmm. and that that hurts. Uh, you know, when I when I think about that, because you know, we we came into the EOD community at the height of the wars. You know, these weren't guys who wanted to go just pay for college or or you know mm-hmm. see the world. These were guys who were like, hey, you know what? I want to go out. And do some really dangerous shit and Hmm. you know i i might die doing it and when you get a a group of motivated individuals like that together and give them this super intense sense of purpose uh, for a lot of years and and you know eventually one day that all goes away you know (laughs) but but nothing has changed you know we still have that same mentality and everything and it's tough when you see the focus shift to things that, that maybe like guys like me feel like really aren't as important anymore. Right. We get back to the, the peacetime mentality where, you know, the, the perception of capability is actually more important than capability itself. Right. The administration of training actually takes precedence over actual training. Like nobody cares if you went out and did it, We want to see the paperwork that proves that you did it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for me, that was that factored pretty heavily in my decision to retire when I did because I, you know, I felt like, hey, you know, there's all these guys that have all this experience in this, you know, thing doing it. And hopefully I passed some of that along to some of the guys that I worked with. But at the same time, I kind of felt like, yeah, this, you know it's it's hard for me to stay here and do this uh without that super intense sense of purpose and you know there's a lot of guys like me who just kind of felt like well you know now it's you know we grew exponentially after during the wars i mean how big was eod mike when you came i think it was like maybe 700 guys in eod Does that sounds yes. about right yeah that was about right that's officers and enlisted and now what is there there's like 1400 think,
1: 1500.
0: 1500 is that officer and enlisted yeah yeah so we've we've doubled in size just the eod tax and then the support Mm -hmm. mechanism has also grown too which is you know so realistically we're probably triple the size that we were when we came into the community and you know there there's been a lot of of shift in mentality in the community um but i think what's one of the big things that that's hard for me and and I knew was really important to Scotty Dayton. Right. He, you, mm-hmm. if you knew something about him, you knew he loved brotherhood. He loved like, you know, that's why we always hung out, you know, in the shop three or four hours after we were done working, uh, drinking hot cocoa and
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: and giving each other compliments. And
2: no, it is, um, I mean, it is that the sense of purpose is, I would say just from an outsider perspective or a spouse's perspective. Um, I mean, you, you can, you can see it, you can see the importance um, of that and the effects that it has on, um, you know, on, on Navy UD operators, um, you know, and, and just taking away one of those, you know, so the way NSOF was, was formed, right, right now we're, we are the only organization in existence that that exclusively supports the NSO community. So Navy UD, Navy Divers. Um, and and with that, the whole purpose, right? It's to ensure that everyone has access to programs and, and touching on what you were saying before with, you know, you have to have your little sheet of paper to prove what you've done, right? And one of the big things was making sure that that there is access to all of these programs and, and services um, that you know, for the entire community and not dependent on platoon or mission set, which, you know, it's not to say that that a lot of these uh, resources aren't out there. It's just all very much dependent on, on where you happen to be, which um, you guys pretty much get sent all over the place. I mean, you guys speak much, much uh, better on that than I can, but, um, you know, the last thing you need to do is then have to go. And once you, you would like to have some sort of support, is sit there and go through, you know, this organization, that organization, um, you know, here you weren't on an NSW platoon. So technically it doesn't count or, I mean, it, it's, it's very tiring. And just from, from putting together all these programs and everything, I certainly um, can say from my end, I, I can't even imagine how tiring it must be for, um, for someone that is seeking help or support or, or just would like to participate in some sort of program um, on their own
1: like another of the reasons in the genesis of this podcast too is the fact that as much as they try they just miss the mark in the tap class and the gps classes i think and Mm -hmm. i still um who was it i don't know if it was trevor and i were having a conversation or i can't remember who i was having a conversation with the other day but they were talking about uh someone who had a a senior chief, I think, and he was from the fleet, but the guy had lived on ship for almost his entire career. And he was getting ready, he was getting forced out to higher uh, tenure. And the guy went to apply for like a credit card or went to apply for something for credit and he couldn't get anything because he had zero credit at almost 20 some years in. And so, you know, you look at, when you look at the programs, that are out there and what we have to teach to, I can understand why. And that's an example why you have to, because here you have a very senior enlisted uh, guy who's getting out, but still is at the extreme, doesn't even know, doesn't even understand credit, never has never lived out in the economy hardly at all, has always lived on a ship. You know, maybe he may have millions of dollars in the bank, but he can't even get a credit card. and things like that but you know i think when you work in a community like the special operations community and you develop skill sets over years and years and years i think it warrants some folks to be able to craft and and get it in our minds that hey uh yeah you, you kind of have something a little different and you know the, it's not it's not the same you know, you've been leading teams that are small, uh, diverse, cross-functional teams across the globe, making high-risk decisions in permissive and non-permissive environments. And how does that translate? And, and you just can't open up a dictionary and find the answer. It's not there. And it takes a lot of outside help. And it, you know, having folks like Rajon that like we had before and having mentors like that that are associated with InSoft really helps folks get the right step as they you know head out the gate.
2: No, absolutely. And that's that's one of our our biggest focuses right now is with um, you know, with our, our transition pillar. Um again, that was something that we knew was important. I don't think we realized how large of a gap there was there. And and that's one of our pillars where we've really had to focus on on tailoring it to the NSO community specifically. Um, You know, going out, vetting a lot of different programs, um, like Elite Meet, which I believe you guys had on your, you had some from there on your show um, not too long ago. Um, Finding, yes, and um, finding people like, like Brage, for example, who, while she is not in the community, she is probably the biggest advocate for the community. Um, We're just so grateful to have her on board, but, but it's nice because it gives you that outside civilian perspective on things. Um, you know, and the experience she has is just, uh, I mean, it, it's next to next to nothing, you know, so she, um, between, between all of the different components that we've, we've had, right. We also have the honor foundation, which we put together throughout COVID. We decided to start a webinar series. So, um, we had our first one a couple months ago and that was just giving an introduction We We've called it pathways to purpose. We have one that's coming up at the end of the month on June 29th. That's going to focus on the Honor Foundation. So we'll have uh, the infamous Mister Jerry Holmes on board, and uh, he'll be giving can, us some. Uh...
0: You can say his real name on here. We know what it is. <laughs> I don't care. We 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 actually have a requirement to use at least one potty word per per episode. So please, I'll I'll give you the honor of of saying that.
2: Absolutely. I'll start it off then. Jerry motherfucking Holmes.
0: That's right. Goddamn. All right.
2: right. <laughs> so, uh, so we'll have, uh, we'll have him on board and, um, you know, he'll be, he'll be leading it off of, um, you know, the honor foundations, uh, um, perspective and, and just giving some advice. And I, it's, it's really great having him there because he's able to come from a place of authority within the Navy OD community and, you know, give him his perspective on how, how the Honor Foundation, how these different programs and how the transition process works from the Navy EOD side of things. And, um, and I know it's it's quite a different one. It's quite a difficult one. Um, there has been, I've, I've certainly noticed as far as preparation goes, I believe it's gotten significantly better, but for the most part, you'd see a lot of people that were maybe starting to prepare for their transition out of the military, I don't know, maybe a week before, you know, a month or two or three before. And really you have to I mean, start at least a year out and really prepare yourself. Um, you know, th- there are so many hurdles to overcome when you come out. And I mean, Trevor, I'm sure you can probably speak to this a lot better than, than I can, but um, that's one of the areas where it's important to not only be prepared for it, but also know and understand what opportunities are out there? You know, it's and while contracting is a great avenue, there's so many others. And you know, you guys are way, way more than just bomb disposal technicians, right? I mean, there's the chem bio aspect. I mean, I it is so. I I don't know. I I will say, like with with Harvey, for example, my husband. Um, I believe one day, and this is when we had first met. Right, you have this guy, and he's just like jock type looking dude right which I found oh he's attractive and I guess I did not realize how extraordinarily intelligent he is you know once you get out of all the bro and jock sort of (laughs) things right and you get down to know people and then all of a sudden he's spitting out all these different like formulas and this and that and it's like wow you guys are like most nerdiest jocks I don't know that's the best way that I can really uh really put that together but I mean, you're experts at so many different things and um, just just the, I guess, the adaptability in your mindset um, and how you're able to apply all of that knowledge. To me, that's something that should be so extraordinarily valuable to any company out there, you know, in any different career field. And, um, you know, so there's, there's getting on the NSO side of it, right? There's getting... NSO service members, to where they understand that and they realize there are all these opportunities. And then on the other side, there's also making sure that you know corporations and it, just different companies out there that they realize the the huge value in this community um, because it's a very unrecognized community. So uh, you know, you you get clumped in in one of two ways, and I'll let you. Chime in on that part. But, um, you know, so those are the two hurdles we're really trying to uh, to overcome there. But I really feel like we've done a pretty good job with that. The people we have on board, you know, we have, um, like I said, Elite Meet, Honor Foundation. Uh, we work with Scott Vetter. He's amazing as far as doing the, the resume portion, working with Brage to really translate all these skills. Um, we have a really amazing team together.
0: Yeah, and uh, we actually did a two-part series with Scott where we talked about both of his books, mm-hmm. and uh, that dude—I mean, f- for what he does, like you know, I to, to have a guy of that caliber, yes. or you know, come in and and volunteer with that stuff—I I thought was awesome. And you talk to him, and you're like, "Wow, this—I I like it because you guys are are doing what guy what folks aren't going to get, you know, through the the big." military transition seminars, which is like, Hey, you know, we have a limited amount of resources and stuff. And I'll, I'll tell you this, I, I would like to see the Navy do something. I was playing around on the army soldier for life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's kind of like their transition thing. And I looked at it mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Maybe I don't agree with all the stuff that they're putting out there, but I was like, that's a, that's an amazing resource that they're putting together. I'd like to see the Navy do something like that, but even still, they're not putting, putting subject matter experts like Scott in there, or, you know, people like Brage, who, you know, just has this huge heart and wants to share and, and, and help people. Um, you know, some other people I'll give a shout out to Elizabeth Dietzman, um, out there educating people. Yeah. Educating people in DOD skill bridge. Uh, that's, you know, John McCaskill's another one, um, yes. I, I, like what he, you know, we had him on here too. Um, we'll, we'll get to that down the road. When we start talking about uh, why nonprofit, but um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, there is like, when you look at the, you know, I've, I've seen it now and I'm like, Holy crap, you know, where was this when I was around and I was like, okay, <laughs> well it wasn't. So I can be a part of it now and, you know, hopefully, that's kind of like the intent, right? Like we, those of us who are here now, we come in and hopefully we make the next generation better. And then, you know, they continue to pass that on. And it's a, it's a never ending process of, of improvement.
2: Absolutely. And um, to touch on what you were saying earlier, as far as with the, uh, what was the the program called the army, army for soldiers,
1: soldier for life.
2: life. Yes. Yeah, soldier for life. Um, so with that, I, I guess I, it's an advantage that we have as well, right? Because it is such a smaller community, um, you know, it's really hard to find something that's gonna work for everyone, particularly with, um, you know, the soldier for life, right? So that's, I mean, there are tons of different jobs within the within the army and, and here we're able to really get in and the advantage we have is, you know, so we pretty much, we are the community that we serve. So, we're very much embedded within the community. We have a lot of different perspectives. So spouse, retired, separated, um, but we have a pretty good grasp on the community and, and we listen and we make sure that, you know, we are adapting to the needs of the community itself. And that, um, you you know, that we don't lose sight of, of that, because at the end of the day, that's, that's what this organization is here for. So, uh, you know, that ability to tailor all of our services and all of our our programs, um, for this community or what we, we feel is best suited for the community. Um, it has been, I I believe it, it makes even that much more impactful. Um, and and we've seen a lot of really great results coming from it. So.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things that I, that I keep reflecting on when I think about NSOF, Honor Foundation, Elite Meet, um, uh, there's shift. There's uh, we had Natalie Oliverio on. Um, there's there's tons of tons and tons and tons of for-profit nonprofits out there. If we were doing so well in the tap in the transition assistance programs for separating and retiring service members, then why is there such a market for these other places and why are they succeeding? And, and doing so well at what they're doing. And, and that's just, you know, that's just the way I, th- you know, the way the logic flows in my head because if if Honor Foundation, NSOF, Elite Meet, Commit, and if they were all falling on their face because they weren't really offering anything because TAP was just absolutely killing it, then, oh, okay. Well, then we're really, we, we've really hit the measuring stick on this one and we're really, we're really getting there. But there's a huge gap in capacity capability and, and what, what I think we're lacking. And so that's why I think like the, the folks I've just mentioned are, are, are doing so well, such as you guys. And the other thing that I think, you know, and I'm not going to harp on it too much, but I'm going to hit on it again because I've been harping on it for about four episodes in a row, <laughs> Skillbridge, Skill bridge, mm-hmm. the most undersold, I think undermarketed yes. transition program, in the Department of Defense. And I've said it before, I'm not going to rehash it again, but I understand why it's under marketed. Uh, I understand why we under educate folks on it, but I think uh, we need to get smarter on it. And I think we need to get smarter on teaching folks about it. I think it needs to uh, get out in mass uh, and, and people need to take advantage of it as best they can, because I think it's by far one of the best programs to set people up for success as they transition out of the military. Yeah.
2: Um, no, I, I absolutely agree. And, and with that, I, I think that the other issue or concern as well as, um, I guess I'll call it a, a stigma, but it is really getting the mindset of, um, you know, of these active duty guys to take that step and do something for themselves. It, it's, it's a very strange, um, I suppose, feeling to have when, you know, just, just from my end with, with NSOF, right? It's, you know, well, I don't want to take any money away from people that really need it. Um, no, no, let the other person have it. And so I've never been faced with a community that is so, it's not so much resistant to help, but I, I really feel like it's just after years and years and years of always shouldering everything. Um, and you know, making sure for the next guy, for the next guy, for the next guy, but you know, it's okay to do something for yourself. Um, and I mean, if you guys have the, uh, the, the answer to that or, or the key, <laughs> the key to that, um, that would certainly be helpful, but, um, you know, that, that's something we are trying to, to push out there, a message that we really feel like should resonate within the community. It's not, it's not bad if you go out of your way to do something that benefits yourself. Um, but I, I do feel like there are a lot of people that find that difficult to do. It's, you know, either they're gonna be taking away from their team or taking away from, from what they're doing at work. And um, so, so that I will say has, has certainly been a challenge but I, I do think we're starting to kind of move in a, in a better direction.
0: I guess here's my value statement to that, right? The way that I look at that is, is, Hey, if you, if you go do this and you know, hopefully I'm, you know, me helping Mike with his transition is proof positive of this. If you're able to, mine was a very, mine was a weird thing. I had to do my, my last deployment. I, you know, I call it a deployment, but I mean, we all know it wasn't really a deployment. I lived in a beach house, a block off the beach in Destin and, (laughs) You, you know, we would, go, set we would go do, uh, we go to the range and do house runs till like, you know, two in the morning, Tuesday through Thursday. And then Monday and Friday were, were admin days, but you know, here's what I did. I came back, I did that. I took care of my team and I kind of had to deal with the command where I was like, you guys just leave me the hell alone. Like my last three months in the Navy. And they did. And that was all I focused on. I was like, Hey, I took care of you guys. You're good. Now it's time to focus on me. And, you know, I think the value of, of somebody learning to detach like that and focus on themselves and do their transition the right way, because that's what I that's one thing that I knew was like, hey, I've only got one shot to do this right. And after that, you know, I'm not, even if I stuck around and worked at the command every day, like they, nobody would give a rat's ass they, the day after I left. Right. But here's here's where you can pay it back. You get through and make it to the other side Now, you know, you can stay engaged with other people who are behind you and help them. If you really want to be that person who they know, like, yeah, you did some good stuff for people. um, That's how you do it. Take care of yourself. Get through it. Get to the other side. It's kind of like, think of it like the obstacle course, right? I go and climb up the wall. Now I'm, I'm at the top of the obstacle. I can reach down and help pull that next person up um you know i think that's the inherent value of of making yourself a priority when you go through transition because hopefully now mike will be even better at helping somebody else who's transitioning than you know than i was able to help him i guess that's that's just my take on it
1: when i went through a similar situation because i remember being at the schoolhouse and as a cmc uh i got a call saying that uh they were going to hook me up with a spot to go to Intrepid Spirit, and nobody from the schoolhouse had gone Intrepid Spirit or Nico and for the TBI clinic, the uh, intensive outpatient, and I thought, man, I'm such a selfish bastard for taking this slot to go. I should just give this up and let somebody else go, and then I re- I struggled with that for a very long time before I went and and I think it, it took me a long time to even come to grips or get any kind of balance with it because as I was going through the process of getting vetted to go and, uh, running into a few roadblocks along the way, I think if I wasn't the command master chief and I wasn't such a senior person, and I wasn't more apt to go, no, this is bullshit. We're not doing this. This is how we're going to do this. Uh, I think it might've been different for someone else. So I kind of felt like maybe I was being a little bit of a pathfinder with that regard, but you know, I still, even after that, hopefully at least, uh, having been a senior person who had been through a lot of things like Harvey and Trevor have, and, you know, that folks can realize, Hey, you know what? It's okay if I go to this thing. Cause Mike and a lot of other, the senior guys have gone to, and, you know, and they come back and talk about it and praise, you know, how great it was to be selfish and go for five weeks or four weeks and just work on you and, and learn, you know, and, and, and kind of, do those types of things and the benefits of those and but it's still it's it's a you know just being in the community you know going through dive school going through even prep going through being a wannabe uh going through eod school they they we beat it into folks as a you know as a community mindset it's not about you not about you at all i don't want to hear i and it's tough to even for me three months and 15 days away, it's still tough for me to go, okay, yeah. I got to start talking more about what I did and it's not about what we did. You know, it's it's still a very difficult, you know, switch to flip.
2: Yeah. I've, I've certainly, I've, I've noticed that as well as far as for intrepid spirit, um, you know, and, and granted there always has to be a, a pioneer, right. Um, hopefully, uh, sometime soon, we can kind of get it to where no one has to necessarily be a pioneer anymore, right, for, for a lot of these programs and, and support, um, you know, with Harvey going to Nico to on, his, on his last deployment, at some point in time, uh, he was telling me his, he was saying his temple was swollen, and I thought, well, that's weird and not normal, um, and then we had FaceTime later on, and he had a giant egg on the side of his head. And I said, that's very much not normal. And then he was just very not saying anything. So I kind of wrote in my little list of things. Maybe he doesn't want to worry me. He'll tell me the story when he gets back. So he gets back, I have my little note thing. I was like, all right, so now you can tell me. And he had zero recollection of it at all. No idea whatsoever, uh, which I found to be quite alarming, even more so, and Then in addition to that, I mean, his eyesight was, I mean, just things that get brushed off, like, oh, haha, I've aged. And it's like, well, I don't think people age that much in six months. That's probably not a thing. I'm not a doctor, but I don't know. So anyhow, with that, I said, you know what, I have three wife cards. I'm going to pull out one of my wife cards and really just nag you until you make a point to go to Nyco because something has to be done. And and I don't know if I just never realized it or, or what it was, but uh, sometime within that period when he was out there, come to find out, and he had been in for what, about about 18 years at that point, he had never once had any sort of brain imaging done whatsoever. That was his very first time, which is awful, one, because you have zero baseline to go off of. Um, and it, I mean, he was the, the person I've been the least amount of time um, in in that cohort of uh, of people over at at NICO, which you know that it just to me it really shows again another gap, but also that you really can't start doing these things once it's so late. I mean, you know, late late later on in your career um, just for the baseline, which I know that's a whole discussion in itself, but but just for you know, your own health and well-being, um, it, it's very important, you know, just to, to keep up with things and make sure that you're able to take care of your body. And um, I mean, last, you know, you want to enjoy your retirement when you get out. You don't want to, you know, two years later end up not being able to move or, um, you know, having all sorts of different ailments. So, um, but yeah, I mean, like, like I was saying, going back to that is that, I do think that it's certainly going to take more and more people um, like yourself, Mike and, and, and Trevor to go out there, obviously be those pioneers with the end goal being that no one has to be a pioneer anymore. You know, it's out there, it's done. It's, it's almost just, just part of their everyday career, right? Like we do this, we go, we get help. We go to go Intrepid Spirit, you know, checked out health wise, but also take the time to, prepare ourselves for once we get out. Um, so like I said, I mean, it is, it's certainly something that I, I do believe is improving. Um, and I, I just really hope that, uh, you know, the, the programs and everything that we have implemented are, uh, are, are helping get us towards that goal.
1: Well, I think too, from what you're saying, we, we were looking at some of that when I was at the schoolhouse of, the possibility of doing and I don't know how far down the field I' got because I haven't I haven't talked to anybody about it in in recent months but talking about baseline and students as they were either coming in the community or as they were graduating you know cognitive or and the, the other great thing would would be to get a baseline MRI I really think you know having been over in Iraq and Afghanistan around the time frames where they started putting, Uh, blast overpressure sensors in our helmets and Mm. shortly thereafter we're like take those things out now and send them back you know what why do you think they would do that uh because they were getting readings that were off the charts and they didn't want any measurable thing that any measurable data that they could ever have to be pointed against them later on i understand that okay um but that's what i think you know we but we still need to, I mean, we measure hearing and for God's sakes, we're, if we're in a high exposure, I can't remember what it is. High, the, the high noise occupation, such as engineering or EOD or whatever we're exposed to high noises. You have to get re you have to get your annual hearing exam. Flight deck. That's
0: a flight flight deck. deck, Yep. Flight
1: deck. Yep. That's another great example. But if you're, if you're like a SEAL or you're a diver or you're EOD and you're someone who are exposed to Gustav rockets and breaching charges and, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, concussion grenades and, you know, rocket, you know, incoming rocket and mortar fire and IED explosions and the list is on and on. What are you really, I mean, what are they really going to see at the end here? And, and I think that's concerning a lot of folks. But I think that's still, it needs to happen in my opinion. It needs to happen. And that's just Mike's personal opinion, it, but it still needs to happen because I think you're going to see someone like, like Harvey or like Trevor or I who've had, you know, a two decade long career. There's going to be a huge Delta between the the baseline, what we started with and the, in 20 years versus someone who wasn't exposed in the same occupation, you know, someone who was a administrative person or someone who was, who did our job, like electronics, like, like Trevor was a fire controlman and I was electronics say, I would have taken that same path for 20 years. Would my brain look the same as it does now? I can almost, I can, I bet the farm and say, no, I guarantee you, I have more white spaces in my brain. Thanks to being an EOD tech.
2: Absolutely, we uh, not not too long ago. Um, I'd say about about a year or two ago, um, I sent out. I, I kind of put together this uh, this survey just because, from from what you were saying, right? There there are lots of questions that I didn't understand why we didn't have the answers to, or and how we couldn't get there. And so you had a lot of people that I mean, for example, let's say I ask you, you know, well, how many major explosions have you been in? Whatever your responses and your interpretation of major is going to be different than someone else. Um, I know Harvey, for example, I was asking him, I was trying to find just different, um, more objective uh, uh, points or more uh, points, metric points to, uh, to put in there. And, you know, for, in order for it to be major for him, it was, you know, you needed, blood coming out of your ear. I mean, it was like something catastrophic, right? Where um, I felt like, okay, and minor was like, oh, well, you know, I don't even know if I've had like minor ones. Those would be for him explosions where he was literally, I mean, you know, probably experienced a concussion. So, you know, we, we put together this, this really involved survey um, where we did a blast exposure chart and what we did is for minor we gave examples of like you're saying the Carl Gustav right so or a mortar round going off and we're able to put those physical examples alongside things like with the K factors um and this way gives also people that are able to do something with this data um, you know it gives them a more scientific uh understanding of it as well so this way both sides everyone understands everyone's on the same page and um I mean the the results that that we got were to me that <laughs> I don't know I, I had already expected them to be pretty uh pretty horrific but um it it really surpassed any I think general understanding I had of of how much um blast exposure you guys experience I think you know, on average, the, the minor ones, right. You had over a hundred, right. And uh, over a hundred to like, I don't know, moderate blast. Right. And those would be, um, uh, I don't have all the, the details on here right now, yeah. but um, moderate br- blast would be, I think it was like around 55 and and the average time in at that point for the people answering was about 15 years, um, you know, and, and the average uh, the average MRI that anyone had received was, I, I want to say, was like less. It was less than fifty percent of those respondents that experienced the experienced those that that had received any sort of MRIs, um, or or imaging whatsoever, of their uh, of their brain. So it's it's certainly this it's certainly a huge area to get into. We actually recently um partnered with. Uh, so it is the the risk. so the War-Related Illness and Injury Center. Um, they, they've they been working very closely with, uh, with Navy OD specifically. So it has been nice and we've been able to share all of this data and it's just data that I've been sitting on that I've collected, but I had no idea what to do with it. Um, so it was great to turn that over to them and kind of work hand in hand with them and see an organization um, you know, especially with the VA. I know the VA kind of has its its own. Um, I, I would say there are different misconceptions about the VA. Well, that's a nice way to put it. Um, but uh, anyhow, so it, it was really nice to see, you know, a group of people that that has the skill set to do something good with this data, and just so involved and and willing to help the the community itself. So. Um, Yeah, it it is it's certainly a a need though that is for sure
0: i um so what you were talking about there the blast exposures Mm -hmm. that was you know my my thing i went to intrepid sphere i think i was probably one of the first uh east coast dod guys to get sent down there you know at least according to the group two mental health lady um and I didn't get to do the whole thing. I didn't get to like pet horse, do cool shit like pet horses like Mike did. I went down there for a week and it was purely diagnostic because it was like, hey, I'm getting out in six weeks. I don't have time to do that. I had to go down there and get stuff in my medical record. And what the guy there, the the head neurology guy told me, he said, you know, we looked at you, you have some relative weaknesses and stuff. Um, the bad thing about that too, is you get like Navy EOD techs, those are, are normally above average intelligence people to start with. So they're, they're already going to be in a different data set than a lot of, a lot of other folks. Um, but they said, you know, like a lot of your scores on these tests were actually significantly higher than, than a lot of the people that we tested. Well, okay. If you're putting somebody like that in the same category as like, you know, 18, 19 year old Marine grunts, then yeah, probably, Mm -hmm you know, no disrespect to them or anything, but that's so what they said was we do see some relative weaknesses that kind of coincide with, with some of the issues that we think that you're having. Unfortunately though, I had never had like a single concussive event. I hadn't been rocked so hard that I got knocked out by an explosion. And at the time that was like one of their main diagnostic criteria for TBI was to Mm -hmm. say like, yes, if this person hasn't been rendered unconscious from an explosion, then you know, we can't say that they have TBI, but they they did acknowledge. They said, "Yes, we understand that you've had multiple subconcussive events. It's just that we don't have," and we've talked about this a lot on the on the podcast too. It was like, we just don't have the data to support a diagnosis with that. And I was like, "Okay, well, you know, all the stuff's documented." Uh, however, I guess since then. I think it was like a year after that, there had been some studies that came out where they did talk about that. And a lot of that I think was may or may not have been related to like a lot of the same stuff that they, they looked at with the NFL for uh, CTE
1: Mm because those
0: guys sub concussive events, every time you bang helmets with somebody, that's a sub. I, you know, I look at that when I was at seventh group, if we did, you know, uh, even just one, one house run a week for four months, Um, or, you know, one, one night of house runs for four months, that's, that's 12 nights and you do five or six runs per night. And you probably do at least two internal breaches every time. So that's 10 times, that's 120, uh, you know, minor (laughs) blast exposures right there in a period of four months. A lot of what we get is actually more from training than it is from, from real world operations,
2: Oh yeah. And I, I was, I was going to bring that up. That's, um, it's, it's huge too. Um, I mean, even someone, let's say that has gone through, I don't know, three or four training cycles, but for whatever reason hasn't deployed or only deployed, you know, twice within that. I mean, the, the, the workup cycles in themselves and, you know, depending on, on, I guess, which, uh, which team you're going with or, or which route, I'm probably not going to say the right words there, but, um, it is. It's crazy the amount of uh, of blast exposure that that you guys are exposed to, and and you expand that over uh, you know a twenty year period, and and there's no way that anyone can convince me that that is not going to have some sort of effect. And you know, not that it, it'd be great if there is something to make it you know reversible, or that there is this this solution. I but I I. Don't feel like it'd be realistic to look at, you know, given given your profession, you can't come out of it unscathed, no matter what. Um, you know, there there's just inherent, I would say, risks and dangers involved. So um, it, it it was definitely very surprising to me when when we combine those numbers of all of the workup cycles that everyone has gone on. And adding to that, anything that has been experienced, um, you know, outside of it, uh, it it's it's kind of it, it's crazy. And I will say, when you know, having shown the numbers and everything to uh, to a lot of these like neuroscientists and everything else that that we got involved with, and putting it into this more scientific um, language for them, right, because they can understand K factors that that's easy for them to uh, to put together, but you know, when you have someone that goes 20 years and they've experienced on average, I don't know, hundreds of, of what do we have here? So K, K-18 K or closer without pro and 50 plus K-9 or closer, I mean, throughout their career, it is huge. And I, I know that they were astonished, they were taken aback. So, so I, you know, I'm not sure how, how to get that message across but i don't think that um i don't think that people realize the amount of of exposure you guys receive um and just the effects it it can have now i can also understand why that may not be recorded or i mean like like you were saying Mike as far as for the uh, the exposure helmets or that to record that, I mean, you're going to end up with zero people in this profession. So, you know, it's, it's a tough one. And, you know, that's one, maybe, maybe it's something that we can solve in the future, but it is certainly um, important and uh, at least good to be aware of.
1: I think the other thing is too, you, you brought it up. The, I think if I remember correctly, the I think it's less than 20% of the folks that will enlist will ever make it to retirement. So less than one out of five. And I think the folks that come into EOD specifically, I think it's almost half will make it to retirement or just slightly below. So we retain a heck of a lot of people. And so, you know, you think about, well, why wasn't this brought up years ago? Well, we, we keep, we're starting to really, keep people in and I don't know if it was because of the wars and we were really getting to do cool stuff and really relevant, but you know, that 20 years is a really long time to get the crap knocked out of you Mm -hmm. and and do that stuff to your body. And so I think that's why it's really moving to the forefront. And then you take the broke guys like we have now uh, and, and you go, well, how do we prevent if this were ever to happen again, how do we mitigate this and do preventive measures to have a better outcome the next time this happens.
0: Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons I'm excited about, you know, like the, the strike program where they're, they're taking a more proactive approach into this, uh, you know, some of these things that, that you and I were talking about, where they, they are monitoring that they're doing these baselines and they, you know, they're getting advice on how to work out from personal trainers and they get to talk to the mental health professionals. I, I, you know, I, I wish that that had been around 15 years before, uh, you know, when I, you know, when, when I came into the community, but I'm glad that the guys behind me have it now. Um, especially when you look at, like, I just, I can't believe the difference in the caliber of people between when I came in (laughs) And, and you know now you see all these brand new guys are like yeah i'm an electrical engineer i'm this and that and i'm like jesus
1: and uh, they're enlisted and,
0: yeah <laughs> yeah i uh you know like, like i said before like yeah had you said that you know all the guys that came in when i you know we were <laughs> we were there because it was a better option than jail um but or dungarees yeah, so, well, you know, Susie, I know we, we dug into this topic a lot, but I know you guys do a lot more than that. So, uh, you know, maybe we could take a few minutes to talk about some of the other programs that you guys do as well.
2: No, absolutely. Um, I think one of the ones that we didn't really touch on was uh, so our, our youth and family pillar. Um, you know, when, as far as with NSOP and, and personally, right, I truly believe that our children right? They deserve a lot of gratitude and respect for, you know, sacrifices that they made, but they were not chosen, right? So they, it is, it, it is, sorry, it's very difficult to put that into words, but anyhow, you know, they, they never chose to make those sacrifices. So, you know, what, what we do to try and, and give back and, and help is uh, we offer, we do kids days, right? We'll do that at iFly, Top Golf, Adventure Park, um, you know, place they can get together with other kids that can actually relate to them. Um, in the past, you know, obviously COVID has kind of put a damper on some things, but, you know, send them to really awesome summer camps like the Virginia Space Flight Academy, just like an overnight week-long class. Um, it's, it's been pretty, I will say it's been pretty impactful. I, and I, I know for a fact that a lot of these uh, experiences we're able to, uh, to provide, um, you know, to provide kids or, or, some that, that they certainly haven't experienced prior, prior to NSOP. Um, and, and it really goes with, okay, you know, what if parents are deployed, things like that, right? So we offer, um, we have passes as well that we offer to like Ocean Breeze or, um, in, uh, in San Diego, I want to say it's, uh, oh goodness, uh, I don't know. It's not Aqualand. I cannot remember the name of it. it is a water park over there? Um, you know, so they have season passes. That way, everyone can go on their own terms. It really promotes families spending time together, um, and and that's very important in itself. Uh, you know, and to kind of expand on that, we have uh, the Great Wolf Lodge. So we'll do our family getaways. Um, it's really neat. It's something that I think that not a lot of people are able to uh, uh, to really take part in if it, you know, if, if we hadn't offered it as a, as a program. It's not too far away from our, um, you know, from Virginia Beach or from San Diego where people are. So it's obviously within driving distance. It's not so close that you're able to be, you know, burdened by any stresses and things like that. And and it's nice, you know. We we have what over like twenty five. I think the last one we had, um, we had around forty different families, and you know, the entire weekend was paid for. You know, they have the nice indoor water park over there, and and again, that whole bringing people together. It's it's huge, and to be able to do it with families, as well as, um, it's it's such an Im- impactful program it it, like I said bringing everyone together but making sure families are involved as as well because I mean families go through things you know we we experience things granted secondhand but at the same point it's uh uh it's not to be uh I don't know not certainly not to be scoffed at that's for sure
1: well I got to take my kids to iFly I think it was uh two years ago Mm -hmm. and they were four I have two daughters and they were four and seven And you got them in the little flight suits and their face smashed into the protex with the little (laughs) goggles on. I still have their photos and they're hilarious, the photos. And I can still remember my four-year-old getting in there and she's just shaking her head because she just does not want to be in there. And I'm on the other side of the glass and she sat down and she wants out. And I'm like, Nope, you're staying in there. You stay in there. And by the end of the second time, I think she was in there. She had to go like three or four times, but Mm -hmm. by by the third time she was was having a blast, but they still talk about that time that they got to go to iFly and they want to go back.
2: That's awesome to hear. And it's, I think it's iFly in particular, it's nice for them too, because it lets them get a little taste for, you know, what their, what their mom or dad does. And, um, I think for that, that's pretty, pretty cool from a kid's perspective, but, um, no, it is, uh, it's nice. Like I said, I mean, it's really nice to give, to give back. There's, I mean, you guys all have, everyone here has, that, has kids. So like the amount of birthdays, holidays, everything, all those memories that, you know, that they miss and that you guys miss with your kids, um, you know, and, and those can't be recaptured. So it's, it's something that is, uh, I think really tough On them. I'm sure it's very tough on, you know, on the parent that is gone as well. Um, And, you know, for as far as for the kids, you know, you can't really expect them to understand. So to make it even just a little bit better for them, um, you know, and kind of help with, with this challenge that they don't really have any control over, but they constantly have to deal with. um, It's, I I think it has really helped out. And I mean, hopefully here soon, everything's starting to open back up again. So we'll certainly start kicking that off again.
0: That's awesome. Can't wait for it. Yeah. And um, I know you guys had a few events um, coming up here over the next several months too. Um, I, I wanted to give you the chance to put the word out about those, of course, first and foremost being the no gala gala. Yes.
2: Oh, absolutely yes. Yeah. So we have uh, we have the No Gala Gala that's coming up here in Virginia Beach on um, well this coming Saturday. Uh, that's free, open to uh, NSO um, service members and their families. I mean, you know, past present, everyone's allowed in. Um, you know, free food, free drinks, and all of that. So and everyone can meet Little Top. So it should be a pretty a pretty nice thing. That said, uh, starts at five at the check. Um, you know, outside of that, we have uh, we do have our traditional gala on the west coast. Which, fingers crossed, I'm not going to jinx anything, but that's set for October 9th. So hopefully, we can get get that put together. Um, you know, we have i uh, I'm pretty excited for our potential keynote speaker. I'll wait till it's confirmed. Again, I don't want to jinx anything, but that should be a really great time as well. It'll be our first time actually getting uh, our traditional gala out on the west coast. So, so we're pretty excited. Uh, about that. And, um, I that, we have our, we have our memorial, which is kind of ties into why little top will be there. Um, it, it's that I will say is probably one of the more exciting things we have going on right now and that we've been able to work with, um, or work on, uh, while there's been this, uh, well, the COVID, um, normal we'll call it, but, um, it's uh, so that that is on our website. Um, I'll try to explain it as best as I can, but uh, to look at the pictures and everything, we, we do have that. It's at nsoft.org. So uh, it's the NSO Memorial. It, it honors the fallen Navy Special Operations heroes. And it's quite unique in the sense that the design promotes healing and wellness as well as being a memorial as well um so when we first came up with the idea we want to make sure we were not only like diligent to embed meaning in like pretty much every detail of the project but the fact that its location is right there in group two knowing that you know guys are going to have to walk by it every single day we didn't want it to be a constant reminder of loss so um you know it, it starts out we have this winding pathway it leads up to the memorial Along the way, there are going to be different podiums that have plaques on them, and those plaques are going to uh, depict the historical sceneries that, um, you know, that, that show the development of the Navy OD operator Navy diver throughout throughout its history. And then, um, you know, in the the centerpiece area, there's a, a labyrinth design, which if both of you have gone to Intrepid Spirit, I'm assuming they have the labyrinth, right, that everyone kind of, or I don't know if that's NICO specific or not, but... Um, you know, you have this, this really nice labyrinth design. So for that, it reflects mindfulness, reflective thinking, um, on the edges, we'll have the four pillars and they crescendo upwards towards the main archway. And we have this archway. That's, what's going to include the names of the fallen. So we'll have the names of the fallen Navy, OD and Navy, uh, Navy divers. And we choose, we, we chose that because archways in themselves, they symbolize strength, support, lightness, openness. um, And it's instead of it being just a a solid wall, right, it is open and it's like a threshold. So it's like a threshold where someone can pass and enter another time and space, right? So there's been a lot of different um, detail that has been placed in there and and just thought behind it. We'll have the Navy EOD and Navy diver creeds on the outer pillars and on the innermost pillars. And this is where we kind of bring in um, a little top. Uh, we have these bronze relief statues. So they're designed by Josh King. And uh, so on one side, we'll have the red diver and that's represented by a Mark five deep sea diver. And then on the other side, it's going to be the November one. And that represents the modern Navy EOD operator. So um, Right now, it's still within the approval process. Uh, we're pretty optimistic that we're going to have the official stamp of approval and hopefully break ground very soon. But um, it, it's something that's a pretty remarkable uh, project that, that that we're working on. I mean, it, it is it's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, I've seen all the the concept artwork and so, it does. I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, I think it's definitely going to be really cool. I, um, (laughs) yeah, you you know, we had Josh King on the show too a while back, and and he talked about that. And then, um, of course, you know, I talked to Adam a lot, um, Mm -hmm. so I kind of knew that it was a thing before it was a thing. Yes. But uh, now that the words out, I hope it's cool that I can say that. So yeah, no, gonna, absolutely. You'll have to text me who the guest speaker is because that's killing yes. the anticipation. Killing. <laughs> I promise I won't tell anybody. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so if people want to, uh, you know, donate, participate in anything that NSOFT's doing, what's the best place to do so?
2: Absolutely. So um, on our website, www.ensoft.org. Um, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Facebook search. Navy Special Operations Foundation. Our Instagram handle is at NSO Foundation. Um, I mean, we are everywhere, really. So um, so that's usually the easiest way. If anyone wants to, you know, we're not taking actual physical donations for the memorial right now. Uh, we want to wait until it is actually officially approved, but Uh, So right now what we ended up doing was putting together a donation pledge form. That's also, all of that is on our website as well.
0: And uh, of course the gala this weekend, 5 PM, where you can actually meet in person first Sergeant Littletop, as well as the co-creators of the get to Bet podcast. Yes,
2: absolutely. I hope to see everyone there. It is going to be fun. We already have over a hundred people that uh, that have signed up and just while we've been, talking i already had two more registrations pop up so um you know the
0: more the merrier i don't know if i registered or not i'll have to go look i'll be there
1: 101 then i don't think (laughs) i have either so put me down for as well
2: yeah I, i imagine it'll probably be double so um double whatever number we have registered
0: yeah I, well, I'm looking forward to it. So, Hey guys, uh, Susie Fisher, the executive director of the Navy special operations foundation. It's an organization that Mike and I both support. Um, you know, I've, I've tried to pitch in where I can and help out, even if it's just, you know, idea sprouting or, uh, always make sure I donate to when the, when the time comes one of my favorite organizations to pitch in for. So check them out on the website. The gala is this weekend uh, June 19th. Correct. That's Saturday. Yes. Yep. At 5.00 PM at the shack in Virginia beach. Uh, that's on Atlantic if I'm not mistaken. Yep. All right. Thank
2: you. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate all the support and, and thank you for having me on.
0: Well, thank you for coming on. It was good to have you.
2: Thanks for coming on Susie as well. Thank you so much.
0: Harvey I said hi. Will do. Yep. I'll I'll say hi to him this weekend.
2: (laughs) Yes. Oh yeah. Come on out. He'll be there.
0: All right. Take care, everyone.
2: Thank you so much. You too.
0: Thank you for listening to the Get to Vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net. And let us help you get to vet.